0: Welcome to Global Answers. Please join us as we discuss the relevance of God's eternal word relating to events in this day and what it means to you.
1: And now, your host, Jeff Jenkins. Welcome to Global Answers. It's so good to have you with us. We have been enjoying our guest, uh, Brother Stephen Strew, a lecturer and professor. And we've been talking about uh, our universe, God the Creator versus uh, evolution. And we're going to go a step further, uh, one more step into the, the reality of a divine Creator, intelligent design. We're going to talk about the anthropic principle, much of which I know little, but Brother Stephen uh, knows a lot. And anthropic simply means everything that tends toward life. And I referred to this book a moment ago by Lee Strobel. And so I'm going to quote just a few quotes from leading scientists and what they say about uh, the evidence of an intelligent design. In other words, a God that created everything. And I find these statements just uh, compelling. This one comes from physicist Paul Davies. He says, It is hard to resist the impression that the present structure of the universe apparently so sensitive to minor alterations in numbers, has been rather carefully thought out. The seemingly miraculous concurrence of these numerical values must remain the most compelling evidence for cosmic design. Another one by Sir John Templeton. I like this one. Would it not be strange if a universe without purpose accidentally created humans who are so obsessed with purpose? Here's another good one that I'd like to read to you, and this one is uh, by uh, Brandon Carter. He says, what evidence was responsible for this stunning spiritual turnaround among the most influential discoveries he encountered in his investigation was the so-called anthropic principle. And he says this, all the seemingly arbitrary and unrelated constants in physics have one strange thing in common. These are, these are precisely the values you need if you want to have a universe capable of producing life. Anthropic principle, everything tends towards life. In other words, life was designed for us, for the human being. And Brother Stephen is going to elaborate on that. So Brother Stephen, please uh, take off. Tell us more about the anthropic principle.
0: <laughs> it comes from two words. Uh, the most uh, obvious one is anthro. Uh, We uh, use words like anthropomorphic, um, anthropology, Mm -hmm. it means uh, something to do with man. It comes from the Latin word for man. And uh, the uh, meaning of anthropic as as it was originally used was that it appears as if all the factors uh, that go into making a universe Mm -hmm. were designed in order that there could be complex life-forms on earth and, in fact, that there could be man on earth. If Mm. we uh, changed any of those factors, even by the smallest possible, uh, almost unimaginably small amounts, uh, we wouldn't be here. Mm. And um, there was a philosopher, and uh, he said, uh, of this one thing I am sure, and that is that I am here. (laughs) and uh, he said that to mean that whatever those factors were, they worked because I am here, we are here, and if those factors had been changed, uh, we wouldn't exist, and in fact, life, as we know, it wouldn't exist on Earth. Mm. And so uh, that was the the reason for this uh, principle was for scientists to have a better understanding of what they meant when they said, that there was some evidence of design mm-hmm. in the universe, mm-hmm. uh, they wanted to show empirically uh, an evidence of design. And one of the examples that I like to use is if we went into a cave, mm-hmm. um, perhaps in an area where there was no previous uh, n- evidence of there having been any human beings in in that area, and we perhaps uh, dynamited through a wall and we discovered a cave behind the wall. Mm -hmm. And in that cave, on the wall, we found a beautiful Impressionist painting Mm -hmm. like uh, the kind that we uh, associate with uh, Monet. Mm -hmm. What would our immediate Mm -hmm. thought be? Our immediate thought would be, what a beautiful painting. Mm -hmm. And the next thought would be, Mm-hmm. I wonder who the artist is, <laughs>
1: exactly,
0: and it's that uh, foundational thinking mm-hmm. uh, that scientists have come to in just in the last twenty and thirty years mm-hmm. that has led them to look at the universe differently and not to look at it as just uh, random events. Uh, that have happened over millions and millions of years Mm -hmm. that accidentally came together in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're looking at it now the way we would look at that painting. And they're saying, I wonder what intelligence Mm -hmm. was behind all these fine tunings that we see in the universe, all the complexity that we see in... uh, in microbiological cells, cells of, of the, this, these, uh, where we can even see into the nucleus of a cell and understand the DNA of, of a cell, uh, who's behind that? Mm-hmm. And it's it's been wrong previously, as we've discussed before, uh, for scientists to ask the question, who's behind it? Because they were never allowed to take into account mm-hmm. because of uh, the 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 the, uh, methodologies that they've employed up till this point, which have always been naturalistic. Mm -hmm. They've never been allowed to go into the metaphysical realm and say, who is behind it? But now with the uh, anthropic principle, Mm -hmm. um, they're seeing more and more evidence that uh, the universe was designed so that life, and especially human life, could exist on earth.
1: Now, okay, life created by God, human life created by God to uh, this universe to create and to support human life, all right? Now man is able, within the last 20 to 30 years, like never before, to study so many things in the laws of physics, and in doing so, many are turning to God. So ultimately, is the creation itself turning people to God, or the knowledge of the creation?
0: Uh, That is exactly what Romans one twenty says. Mm -hmm. It says, For... Um, from, the, from the beginning, from the, the very foundations of, of the earth, as we know it. And it's in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, he says, For the invisible things, and uh, we think of that as, as attributes or even mm-hmm. characteristics, mm-hmm. of him, that's of God, from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, mm. so that they are without excuse. Now, that means that God ordained that there would be human beings on earth who would be able to observe their environment, both in the world of the very big, the on the cosmological scale, mm-hmm. on an astronomically big scale, as well as on an astronomically small scale and through a microscope. So whether one's looking through a telescope or a microscope, God wants us to be able to see not only evidence of a designer, mm-hmm. but to actually understand more about the characteristics that make up his eternal power in Godhead. And he says that it's designed that way, so that we would be without excuse. So these scientists mm. that find God through the correct Understanding of their environment right. um, is no surprise to us. That's what God intended. In fact, uh, uh, John Wheeler, one of these physicists that you that you that you were quoting from uh, earlier, he's in that same group of cosmologists. He says a life-giving factor lies at the centre of the universe. It lies at the center of the machinery and the design of the world. Hmm. A life-giving factor. That was the intent, was that God would have life on earth and that that life would be able to recognize where it came from.
1: So then there's more than just, in a sense, more than just one, there's more than just one way to know God. In other words, there's a Bible in which we can intimately know Him and salvation and a Savior but creation itself tells us, and especially now, wouldn't you say, Brother Stephen, more than ever before, creation scientists can now look where they couldn't in the 1400s or 1500s. They can now in the 21st century. They can look with the tools that they have, and they can see the, the infinite, infinite, infinite detail of God in, from the molecular cell to, like you said, the cosmos to now, where the scripture says man is without excuse, that scripture is compounded, isn't it? it? means more to us today by the very fact of the knowledge that we have about science revealing an intelligent design.
0: It's exactly right. In fact, the, the religions of the world... Um, of which we know there are several hundred different creation accounts contained within those religions and in fact form the basis of uh, the world's religions. Each one of them has a divine designer at the center of their Mm -hmm. creation account. And in fact uh, up until Darwin, up until the, the late 19th century, mm-hmm. um, scientists were believers in God. Mm-hmm. We think of Newton and Kepler. And even uh, going back into the, the early centuries mm-hmm. after Christ, Augustine, Maimonides, Aquinas, mm-hmm. these, these were all philosophers and thinkers who had no trouble at all accepting a divine mm-hmm. designer. Mm-hmm. We are only now coming full circle back to what they believed. And that is that the God of the Bible is indeed the creator. And the more we discover from science, the more apparent it becomes that the biblical account is accurate.
1: (laughs) That's incredible. So then, now, with the knowledge that man has, we are beginning to see and understand, and I wrote this down, uh, uh, God is created the world so that we can study it.
0: Exactly. And
1: then in studying it we can know more about God. That's
0: one of the amazing things and we'll just touch on a few of these mm-hmm. factors that we talked about that form the basis of the anthropic principle. Mm-hmm. That is that is, are life-giving factors, they're um, finely tuned factors Mm -hmm. that allow life on earth. What we'll discover is that not only are they life-giving, but they also allow observation Mm -hmm. of the universe, which Mm -hmm. is what God intended. Mm -hmm. He wanted us to study the universe, to look at the Bible in the stars, for Mm -hmm. example. Uh, God wrote uh, his first Bible in the stars. Mm -hmm. It says in Genesis chapter 1 that uh, the stars would be for signs and for seasons Mm -hmm. and for days and years. So, Um, before there was um, a climate like we understand today, hot, cold, summer and winter, Mm -hmm. Um, there was a temperate climate throughout the whole earth. Mm -hmm. And so the way to tell what time of the year it was was to look at the stars. Mm -hmm. And we know the ancient mariners used to use the stars all the time for navigational purposes. Mm -hmm. So the stars were there for signs. But the ultimate reason for the stars would be to to tell us more about the creator, the one who placed those stars Mm -hmm. where they are. And all of... The creation, as we, rec- as we see it, mm-hmm. was designed uh, so that there could be observers uh, that would be able to appreciate that creation. And so let's look at um, a few of those. Uh, perhaps uh, one that we can look at right away that uh, I find truly fascinating mm-hmm. um, is that we live... Um, in the, in the galaxy that we know as the Milky Way. Yeah. It's a certain type of galaxy. We don't have time to go into all the technical details, but let's just say this. There's a habitable zone mm-hmm. around the uh, center of the galaxy uh, where life can exist. Uh, life as we know it. Carbon-based life, which is the only uh, form of life that uh, that chemistry will support. Mm-hmm. And we know a lot about chemistry. It's one of the most well-known fields of science. And what we know is that only carbon molecules can uh, produce life-sustaining uh, uh, organisms. Uh, th- th- there's no time to go into that. Yeah. But that's that's because of many factors. And one of them is where we are in the galaxy. If we were too close to the center of the galaxy, there's too many uh, supernovas and and destructive forces Mm. there. We wouldn't last. If we were out on the edge of the galaxy, there's not enough gravity uh, to allow uh, rocky planets to form such as Earth. Mm. So there's just a narrow zone around the galaxy in which life can form. But even that wouldn't be enough because in the midst of uh, that zone you have spiral arms and you have a space between the spiral arms. If we were placed within one of the spiral arms, there would be too much dust and too many, uh, too many objects in the sky for us to be able to observe the rest of the universe. We wouldn't know if stars were part of our local solar excuse me our local galaxy or whether they were from distant galaxies. But because we happen to be positioned not only in the habitable zone, the galactic habitable zone, but we're also positioned between two spiral arms, we are able to look sideways, if you can picture this, and see the stars of the Milky Way. And that's what we see when we look up. We see the the white uh, cloud of stars Mm -hmm. and and we say, oh, that's the Milky Way. But if we look in the other direction, almost 90 degrees from that, we're looking between the spiral arms of our galaxy out into deep space. And it was designed that way for us to be able to observe the universe. And those same factors make it possible for there to be life on earth. That's just one example.
1: Abraham Lincoln, I made a statement one time. He says, when I look at man and the atrocities that man can create for himself, I wonder if there is a God he says, but when I look up into the heavens and I see the order in the stars and in the universe, he says, I know there is a God. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and he was quite, he was absolutely right. One of the things we know is that uh, there's a fine-tuning mm-hmm. that's taken place in, and what he was referring to in the order of things was the fine-tuning that we know much more about now than he did then. Mm-hmm. And for, for example, if we could imagine that uh, when God uh, was going to create the heavens and the earth, mm-hmm. that he had before him a giant machine. And uh, on this machine were um, dozens of knobs and each lo- each knob was labelled, and one would be labelled the cosmological constant. Another would be labelled labelled uh, the strong nuclear force. Another one would be labelled gravitational attraction, mm-hmm. and uh, all these different uh, uh, dials would be labelled. Mm-hmm. And God would have to have gone up to this machine and dialed in, fine tuned mm-hmm. each one of those mm-hmm. settings before anything ever happened, because the for the rest of the uh, Uh, the creation, these constants were going to be in place. And what we discover Mm -hmm. is that if he had set any one of those knobs (laughs) just a tiny bit different, we wouldn't be here. Let me put it to you this this way. A planet with 1,000 times more gravity than Earth's gravity, would mean that Earth would be no more than 40 feet in diameter. <laughs> so if we changed the gravitational constant by just that tiny amount, to have a gravitational pull that's a thousand times more than Earth, mm-hmm. the Earth would only be 40 feet in diameter and you couldn't uh, have an ecosystem Mm-mm. that could uh, be uh, supported with an Earth that's that small. Let me give you another example. The cosmological constant. Mm-hmm. The cosmological constant is uh, the measure of the energy density of empty space. That's mm-hmm. what they call the cosmological constant. And to understand the degree to which uh, that had to be fine-tuned, mm-hmm. it's one part in 100 million, billion, 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 billion. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't understand those kind of numbers. Well, certainly I don't. But perhaps I could illustrate it this way. If we were to stand on the space station Mm -hmm. with a dart in our hands, and we fired that dart through the air, through space, through the atmosphere to a target on Earth, the chances of this cosmological constant being fine-tuned to precisely this degree Mm -hmm. would be the same as the chance of us hitting a target on Earth where the bullseye was one trillionth of a trillionth of an inch in diameter.
1: Incredible.
0: And we'd hit it spot on, right (laughs) in the middle. (laughs) It's what we would regard as a statistical impossibility. Scientists in their attempt to ignore the evidence of a Designer, the evidence of a creator, have to almost by faith Mm. believe in these that these probabilities are simply the matter of chance.
1: So, we are living ecologically, in every regard, physiologically, on a razor's edge with regard to life itself. And it seems that God allowed that so that he we could stand back and say, Wait a minute, this isn't by chance. In other words, it's not like we're living in an environment that can uh, support life either direction and in all forms. And there's no chances. Uh, the light, There's so much redundancy. We're living in a in a situation that life is in in our Earth and our galaxy is all sitting on, just teetering on it by design, though but teetering on a razor's edge to sustain life. And even a razor's edge would look like a mountain plateau Isn't by, by
0: comparison to the degree to which uh, the existence of life is dependent on the most uh, fragile of, uh, mm. of circumstances because it's so finely tuned. You know, the thing that impresses me the most about uh, the anthropic principle mm-hmm. is that when we look at the enormous scale of the universe. Mm-hmm. When we realize that just in the Milky Way, there is 100 billion stars mm-hmm. and we're uh, a part of a cluster mm-hmm. of, st- of, wow. of galaxies. Um, we're, th- we're not just in one, just one isolated star, but we're, we're in the midst of billions and billions of stars. Mm-hmm. And then we realize that there are hundreds of billions of galaxies. Mm-hmm. Um, we realize that there's a scale in which Copernicus uh, realized that we weren't at the center of, of the universe mm-hmm. and um, that gave rise to something known as the Copernican Principle, which is the opposite of the Anthropic Principle. Mm. The Copernican Principle, which only uh, was formulated 400 or so years after Copernicus. Copernicus was writing in, in about nine. About fifteen hundred AD, uh, fifteen hundred years after Christ, mm-hmm. and now in the twentieth century, scientists came up with the idea of the um, Copernican principle, or mm-hmm. it's also known as the mediocrity principle, mm-hmm. and that is that we're an insignificant rock in an insignificant portion of an insignificant galaxy My. in an insignificant corner of the universe and therefore imagine how feeble man appears and uh, Carl Sagan popularized that. He, he wrote about the pale blue uh-huh. dot and uh, he said that we're, we're nothing. Mm. We're, we're just a speck in in space and yet what the anthropic principle shows us clearly is that the designer of the universe the great God of creation Mm. is so intimately involved with our lives Mm. that he arranged 16 billion years ago by the scientists' measurements today Mm. that there would be a fine tuning of constant physical forces in the universe so that we could be here talking about him today.
1: That means He cares about us. What He he is mindful mindful of us. He cares for us. And he watches the sparrow fall to the ground. He numbers the hairs of my head, and he names all the stars by name, and yet he did that all so that I can get to know him. Isn't
0: that amazing? Yes. So that he he would be known of us. Obviously he knows us, but his desire was that we would... Uh, know Him and worship Him as the Creator. Yeah. And we read in Revelation that the, that the the believers will be gathered around the throne <laughs> and they'll be singing, Great and marvelous are Thy works, Lord God Almighty.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so it's not just the Bible, just prophets, preachers, evangelists, churches that reveal God. God is, ex- God is expressing Himself in a, m- in a multitude of ways so that man... Can, in other words, I see this as the mercy of God to the atheist, to the agnostic, the mercy of God to the sinner to say, I'm all around you.
0: You know, I must, uh, I must give you in this the last uh, couple of minutes that we have, just one more illustration. The moon is very, very important to maintain the, uh, the climate on earth and, and the movement of the oceans, and mm. we don't have time to go into the details of it. Uh, But you know what's so strange is that we can experience a solar eclipse. Mm -hmm. In other words, that the moon can get in the way of the sun, and uh, we are then able to observe the chronosphere, and uh, the upper atmosphere of the sun because when the moon blocks the main light from the sun then we're able to see uh, the outer atmosphere of the Mm. sun now imagine that god made a moon that was 400 times smaller (laughs) than the sun and then placed it exactly 400 times closer to earth so that an observer standing on earth would be able to observe the chronosphere of the sun because if the earth was any smaller we would have, there would be too much light and we wouldn't be able to see the chronosphere. If it was much smaller, uh, We uh, bigger, we wouldn't be able to see the sun at all. That's and so incredible. it shows you that there was an intricate process of design set in place right from the beginning of creation so mm-hmm. that we could make observations of His greatness.
1: I'm willing to humble myself before that kind of a God. Amen. I'm willing to trust that kind of a God. I've heard it said before, but it's true, isn't it, that it takes more faith to believe in Darwin's theory than it does to believe in the Word of God and Scripture.
0: Because what we're finding today, and scientists are discovering this more and more, is that Darwinian theories no longer can explain the complexities that we see in the environment. The fossil record no longer can be used as evidence of, of evolution, it's more evidence of design. The molecular machines are evidence of irreducible complexity, which Darwin himself said was impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there was irreducible complexity, I beg your pardon, Darwin said that his theory would, uh, would be unworkable. Mm-hmm. And so we see evidence of God uh, reigning supreme in the universe and not man.
1: So he's not only, has he created the universe and the world, but he's sustaining the universe and the world. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. It's exciting. Amen. Well, God bless you. We have uh, thoroughly enjoyed our time with Brother Stephen. uh, These last three sessions talking about a creator uh, versus uh, the idea of evolution, that we all came from some primordial soup, some happenstance, some almost uh, cosmic mistake. Uh, Thank God we are not a mistake. Thank God we didn't derive from a chimpanzee, that God, we came, as I love the scripture in Acts 17, it says that we are the offspring of God. And God created this world so that we might live and habitate this world, so that we might know this great creator God. Then he gives us prophets, and he gives us the Bible, and he gives us teachers, and he gives us a conscience Stephen, just I know we're closing. We've got, what, one minute? We're done. So we'll have to, sometime I'd like to t- have you tell us about the conscience of man versus the animal kingdom and the design of God there. God bless you. We'll see you next time.
0: For a DVD of today's program entitled Evidence for Intelligent Design, send your requests to Global Answers, 1695 Stewart Road, Lima, Ohio. The zip code is 45801 here in the USA or visit our website at